Kieran, do you know what our favorite thing to do is? Argue whose sneakers are better. Well, yeah, you're really close. It's fight. We love arguing. We love debating. That is exactly what we're doing on today's show. Welcome, everybody, to Marketing Channel Fight Club. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Green. I am your co-host, Kit Bodner, and I'm joined as always by Kieran Flanagan. Marketing Against the Green is your podcast for how to grow in counterintuitive ways. And boy, are we going to have fun today. We are fighting today, ladies and gentlemen. We are having Marketing Channel Fight Club, Kieran. We're debating the best and brightest marketing strategies to see which would win. We are going to do a really fun version of the show today. You ready, Kieran? I'm ready. So this is what we're doing. We have listed out a list of 20 different ways to grow your business from you know SEO to business development reps and everything in between. And here's what we're gonna do, Karen. We're gonna pretend that we are running marketing and revenue growth at a $10 million revenue B2B software company that is trying to grow to 30 to $40 million in revenue in the next year. We're trying to grow fast. We're trying to build a big, remarkable business in our market. That is what we're trying to do. And what is going to happen now is we're gonna play three rounds. At the start of each round, producer Darren is gonna give you a channel, Kieran, and myself a channel. And we have to then make a couple minute argument as to why that channel is the best thing for this business to do as opposed to the other random idea. So we have no control over what the ideas are. We might not even agree with them, but we have to argue them. At the end of each round, producer Darren is gonna pick a winner. And at the end of the show, you're gonna wanna stick around because we're gonna give a summary of what we would actually do if we were picking from these channels and opportunities in this given scenario. So I think it's gonna be really fun. We're gonna get into the details and weeds of all of that. Kieran, based on my explanation, do you actually understand what the hell we're doing right now? Right, I wanna make sure our listeners are clear on one thing. So we each get a channel and we have to argue why that's the best channel to invest in. And Darren can tell us who actually won that debate. But can I make sure we're clear that we may not believe the things we are saying? <laughs> so why would our listeners, why would our listeners listen to us? Well, we are still actually gonna go into like what we would do if we were given that channel to make it successful. Yes. So we're gonna get into like how we would actually make that channel successful. I think the thing that's gonna be interesting is if we have to argue against another channel that we actually don't believe would be the right investment to make. So it forces us to really think much more deeply about things we traditionally probably would not invest in if we were trying to triple growth. If you're a startup and you have big growth dreams, you need the right CRM platform. That's HubSpot. I want to tell you all about HubSpot for startups. It's our program where you can get up to 90% off your HubSpot subscription. You need to increase leads. You need to boost revenue. You need to improve your customer's experience. HubSpot for startups helps with all of that. Plus, you'll get 24-7 customer support and integrations from more than 1,500 of today's most popular apps. I almost forgot there's a complete collection of amazing resources to help you learn and get better at your craft. HubSpot is trusted by some of the best startups in the world and is used by over 200,000 customers around the globe. To see if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level, visit HubSpot.com startups. 
So this is going to be fun. It's kind of funny. So I'm starting the show where we're going to debate already angry. Like that's how I feel today. (laughs) This is going to be good. Kieran's going to get angry in this argument. And so it's just going to be layered on more debate and anger. The one other thing I would say, Kieran, is that when you're trying to grow, the growth comes down to two things, like picking the right strategy and executing on that strategy really well. And we are going to give everybody our take on how to execute the strategies we are assigned really well. And that's where you're really going to want to listen to and where you're really going to get some great learnings in today's episode. So we are here. Producer Darren has a hat of all of these channels. Darren, hook us up. What's Kieran's first channel? What's mine? And who's going first? You guys ready? Yeah. I got my hat here. Let's do this. Give me something good. Give me something good, Darren. Do not give me something like trade shows versus virality. (laughs) Because <laughs> that You'll is not crushed. the mood I'm in right now. <laughs> I'm in a real. It's gonna get really tense very fast. I've got everything cut up in the hat here, uh, and this is like a real professional podcast. Yeah. He even has a hat. If you're watching the video, you are like you are getting a treat right now. Seriously, you're gonna be excited about this, Kieran, because this is legitimately picked out of the hat. Virality. This is for me. Your virality. You got virality, Kieran. Okay, okay. give give Kip his. All right, Kip, you're gonna like this events. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we and Kip right, are sitting there go. with our, we're having coffee. We've got our businesses to grow <laughs> 10 million to 30 million. And this is what I explained to Kip. There is a certain uh, criteria you need to adhere to to make the rules of virality to work for you. So first of all, virality works best for low ARPU products. So what is ARPU? Low average revenue per user. So usually they're low cost. It works really well when it has a freemium plan, right? It only really works when it has a freemium plan. So that freemium plan allows users to come in, use a low cost product, and they can upgrade to a higher tier package. It works best when that user does something within the usage of that product that shares it with others. So think about the best case products for virality, Loom, Calendly, Dropbox, what do they all have in common? Through the usage of your product, you actually need to share that with others. Virality works best when there is a low time to value. So that means the user comes into the freemium plan and they can get onboarded to the value in a very short amount of time. So they're like, oh, I truly understand like why this is not only valuable to me, but valuable to others. And I can kind of share that with them. They are the core criteria. And then there's a thing called the K factor, which is your viral coefficient needs to be above one. So mm-hmm. that's very similar to how we think about the way that COVID or virus is spread. Like if it's above one, then you actually have users sharing it with other users and that's a self-sustaining channel. When it's below one, it's not a self-sustaining channel. And so most of what you do during like product-led growth and you have a viral loop is try to like make sure you've instrumented that viral loop to have a coefficient better than one. So those were the rules. Now you got to say how you would think about setting up virality as a channel. So I, I try to explain this a lot to founders. So virality has to be available to you, right? Virality isn't something just you instrument. It has to be something you've built within your product. And so there's just some product, like if you're a backend accountancy platform, first of all, then you're not going to have a viral product, right? You actually need to have virality as part of how that product actually works. So like PLG, product-led growth, virality works because you have all of the things I just said. Like you have to have that freemium plan, short time to value. You have to have usage that actually causes people to share it within their network. They have to have people within their network who actually are good fit users for that product. And so how would I use virality? Man, I actually, I truly think that for the most part, founders who can build viral products or in B2C, if they can build B2B to C products, like business to business consumer products. You just have such a advantage over our traditional businesses because you have this self-sustaining loop that actually starts to acquire people. What would I do as the marketer or growth person? I would try to perfect and optimize that loop, right? If I'm in Calendly, then I'm continually trying to perfect 
how my viral loop works, how you actually share that meeting with someone else, how they see the free sign up message on that meeting page at the end. Like I'm continually trying to look across every interaction someone has from when they share the product with someone else to when that user actually signs up. And I'm trying to get a really strong conversion rate across those two things. There's actually a good growth model you can build out, which is how many users a single user will share it with and then what's the conversion rate of those users. So I guess that's what I would try to do is optimize my viral loop. But again, I would actually have to have a product that allows me to build viral loops versus trying to instrument viral loops in a product that does not have the characteristics that will allow it to work for virality. Again, the Balfour model that we talked about some episodes ago, products are built to fit with channels, channels do not fit with products. I love that. I would say, Kieran, I'm, I'm going to help you out here in our, our debate. The one other thing I would add in is that virality is like hard to get going, but it's huge upside if you can right. get it right. It's it, The predictability is low, but the upside is high for everybody thinking about virality as an actual channel here. One thing I'll just say when I started out is like, it's really good for like low ARPU businesses. What you actually see is PLG businesses that have virality that drive a lot of growth. At some point, they have to layer on other marketing tactics because they want to move up market. Virality doesn't tend to work as well for like large ticket price items. Oh, that's where I come in, baby. Events, big average sale price events. Let's go. So for Darren, when he's choosing between these two things, are we allowed to, we're kind of making up what our business would work best. You can just say you have a accountancy platform business. You, you, you are That's the assuming... business you've always really wanted to work in as well, Kip. Let's face it. You've always wanted to <laughs> how'd you, how'd you try know? to, try to grow an accountancy platform based. Well, no, we, we're saying that this fictional business, in your case, has the potential to be viral and has a huge upside. In your case. And in my case, it has a higher average sale price. So let me let me start out with with everybody here. Let me I'll just try my, I, I, Kip's going to talk about events, so I'll be back in ten minutes. I'm going to get tea, <laughs> a little biscuit, take a break. You go on the old snore, events. snore fest event. <laughs> I don't hate events. I just uh, no, no, you do. It's better okay. things you could do with it's your okay. life. <laughs> Kieran doesn't like events. They they have, they involve people. He doesn't like humans. There's a, there's a whole story. There. <laughs> when it comes to events, though, I want to break down. The rules of events. And the rules of events are pretty pretty straightforward. And in this case, I'm talking about organizing and running your own events, not sponsoring trade shows or industry events. For this example, I think those are two different strategies. And so I'm going to say running your own events is what I'm going to talk about here. And when you're running your own events, the first rule is like the unit economics of those events has to work. The, the event has to be profitable. And to do that, you need to normally sell a pretty high average sale price product. If you're a subscription software company like this, you would be looking at selling deals in the 40, 50, $100,000 a year range to start making events work as a marketing channel. So that's job one, make sure the economics work. Job two is understand the role that events play in the customer acquisition process. If you are out there running events to acquire net new customers that are interested in your business, they're a very expensive, low-scale tool for that, and they're not good for that. What they're really good for is taking somebody who's expressed some interest and getting them to buy faster and getting them to buy at a higher price point. Wow, they are amazing at that. And that's the kind of the second rule of events, and that's a really important thing to understand about events. The third thing to understand about events, one of the reasons I, I love events in this argument is because it gives you the ability to 
change the brand and product perception with a very focused group of people, which is a very powerful thing for a fast-growing company that's changing the products evolving a lot. So those are the three rules of events I would encourage everybody listening and watching to keep in mind. In this particular case, I wanna go in and say what I would actually do. The magic spot for events is how can you run the most impactful event for the lowest cost? And cost isn't just raw dollars, but it's like overhead and production costs because the lower your overhead and production, the more of those events you can do and subsequently the more value you can drive. If it takes you two months to get an event for 20 people together, that's very low scale and you're not going to be able to 3X growth like we started in the show. So instead, what I wanna do is I want a very easy and repeatable playbook for events where I'm bringing together probably a smaller group, I would say probably 10 to 50 people in a way that has high impact. I have great content. I'm spending all my time and money prepping content and story that's highly valuable, highly engaging about best practices and our product. And I'm doing that work up front once and it's gonna be amazing, but then I'm gonna reuse it over the course of an entire year across an event, probably every like two weeks. We're gonna do 20 or 30 of these events a year and we are going to massively increase our sales close rates and the average deal price of our sales by running this playbook. And that's what I'm gonna do. What do you What do you got against my events, Kieran? Let's go. I don't even remember this, but when I was doing the international part of the HubSpot growth, I was running about 20, 30 events a year yeah. in Europe. And uh, actually a couple of things you said are really important. I, I do love events. I, sorry, I don't love events. I, the reason I, the reason I, uh, the reason I find events can be frustrating is because I love things that are like repeatable and, and scalable. And I think events can be, if you do a couple of things that you said, they are a great thing to engage versus acquire. And I think a lot of B2B marketers look at them as a, an acquisition strategy and they're really a, a very expensive acquisition strategy. Maybe okay if you're selling a high ticket enterprise product, but for that kind of mid-market, that can be really difficult. They're a great engagement closing tool if you get the right mix of people. Like I agree with you, like smaller events, great content. And then the other thing I think is important is if you can mix people who are both interested in buying and then customers, like having some mm -hmm. customers and let them intermingle because that actually is your best sales tool is having some customers there who can kind of answer questions and oh, demonstrate how, how they're using the product. So, and then the last thing, which is one of the things that we did when we were running so many events for HubSpot back in the early day is you want repeatability in the content, right? You want to have, you basically want to have like an event in the box and then just be able to like replicate that event or experience wherever you're going. So mm. I'm on board with that. As I think in B2B, you can't get away with not having, unless you're like a very low B2B to C product, it is hard to not have events as part of your closing revenue strategy. Uh, I love that. All right, Darren, who won? Well, that was a very convincing argument, Kieran, helping Kip out there. Oh, come on. I'm actually <laughs> like... <laughs> Kieran, you had me though at ARPU. <laughs> I don't I had it at ARPU just because it's a cool word, ARPU. Gotta love the acronyms. Kieran, you won that round. That was yes. good. Oh, nice work. Congrats, Kieran. Let's Congrats. go. All my PLG people stand up and applaud. All right, Darren, we got All round right. two coming. I All want right. to, I get to go first because Kieran went first last time. Go ahead and give us both our channels and let's go. All right. Let's do this. You've got email marketing. Nice. Uh, you can't argue against email marketing. That's going to be hard unless you give me search. What do you got, Kieran? You got a good one, Kieran. You got paid ads. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> That's two this staples is, of every the, B2B marketing strategy. This is a great debate. The randomization of this debate is, is, is perfect. I love it. Okay, I'm going to kick off. So I've got email marketing. 
email marketing has been core to B2B marketing since email marketing started and is more important today than ever before. And let's give me, let me give you some rules of email marketing. Email marketing is a channel that can be used in multiple ways. It can be used to start to acquire customers and it's really good at monetizing the customers through automation. And it's a very versatile channel. And so understanding what ways you're gonna use email at the start is gonna be very important. The second thing is like deliverability and understanding the technical aspects of email. Marketing is actually very, very important. And so you need a great product. Obviously, Kieran and I love HubSpot, but there's lots of other products out there to help you on the deliverability, email reporting, all those uh, types of things. The last thing about email marketing is, wow, copywriting is incredibly important. So my third rule of email is over-index on copy, especially subject line copy so that you can get people engaged with your email. So th those are my, my three things. If I was running growth at this company, how would I use email marketing? I'd use it in two ways. One, I would use it to try to acquire customers by setting up my industry's best email newsletter. Not about my product, but around like, I want to create the thing that anybody who might buy my product would want to read every, every morning or every week, whatever the frequency is when they woke up. And I would use that to acquire and influence customers. Then I would use marketing automation to take those folks and start to educate them about my product and engage them with my sales team. And it's a great low cost channel. I'm gonna, you got some software costs, but it's an open protocol. And I'm gonna keep a really close eye on my engagement rates, my unsubscribe rates, make sure my deliverability is really healthy. And if I do that, I'm gonna have some amazing predictable growth at a very reasonable cost. And I'm gonna spend the extra amount of time and money really on copywriting to nail it and double down. What do you think? What do you think, Karen? Is that gonna work or what? I think that's a pretty tight plan. I guess uh, the only thing I will say is if I'm trying to triple my business, other than the HubSpot back when marketing was a lot of fun. And remember, you know, you know back in the day when uh, it was really early, email was one of our best like growth levers, growth channels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think that's true for anyone anymore because the content HubSpot produced was so novel that people actually shared it with other people outside that. Like there was virality in the content, right? Yes. People shared the content with others. Yes. And so email made up, I think at some point, like 15% of the overall demand we generated. Yeah, it was high. But now it's, it's predominantly like a, you know, engagement monetization strategy. So if you're trying to triple growth, you still need to have something on top to actually be able to convert. Well, that's that's my newsletter play, Kieran. You can combine the newsletter plus automation. I think it's a good playbook for a, a kind of a ten million dollar run rate startup. Yeah. But you've got you've got a really good counter argument here in paid ads, which is something that I would say basically every company of any real scale does. So break it down for us why paid ads should be ahead of email marketing on the list. So paid ads, I think, what do you need for paid ads? Yeah, what are, the, what are your rules of paid ads, dude? Like, give, give us the rules of paid ads. You need to have a couple of frameworks. You need to have a ROAS model. What is a ROAS model? Return on ad spend. So you actually need to know for every dollar you put in, how many dollars you get back. Now, there's a multitude of different frameworks you can use for paid ad. I think there's things like payback period, when I spend whatever amount of money it takes to acquire a customer. How long does it take me to recoup the cost of that customer? The reason I care about my payback period is because the quicker I can recoup costs, the quicker I can reinvest in growth. So my ROAS model, my payback period, I care a lot about the copy and the imagery I used. And so I care about the click-through rates. I care about the conversion rates because all of those things go into my score and allow me to get things for cheaper. Like I get keywords for cheaper, I get my impressions for cheaper. And so the things I care about in my ROAS, my payback period, Paid advertising is like half science 
half copyright and then design, right? So you need to have a good mathematical model to be able to like look to see what you're getting back from every dollar that you're spending. You need to have a really good plan to look to see how I spend on core platforms where my audience is. And it takes some amount of your money to actually spend on new platforms to figure out if there's any other kind of ways that you can expand through platforms that aren't Google and Facebook, if you're in B2B, like they're typically the two that actually yield some amount of benefit because they have a certain amount of audiences. LinkedIn is good, but it's usually too expensive for most companies selling into S&B and mid-market. One of the debates you see a lot happen in B2B is, oh, how much should I spend in brand advertising? How much do I spend in direct response advertising? And like a lot of the paid ads that you do are product ads, right? So they are good for your brand. Yeah. And so you want to look to see what the correlation between actually when you spend money in paid advertising, how does that benefit you in all other channels? I can tell you for us, it's like 1.2 or 3. So every time we spend a dollar in paid, we don't only get the conversions back from the pay channels, we get another like 0.3 conversions from other channels because there's a lift in the market when we're just more visible with our direct response ads. That's kind of like the core rules. Those are your cool rules. What, what would you do if you were a $10 million run rate startup and trying to nail paid? Well, I would want to look to see how much of my growth or how much of the overall monthly number should come from paid. I would have a really tight ROAS model around that, make sure that they, every dollar I'm spending, I get a certain amount of money back. I think over time, I would run these things called burst tests. Burst tests allow you to see what is the limit in terms of what I can spend. Like, when do I saturate that channel? Mm -hmm. That helps me figure out like how much I can spend long-term. Why do I want to do that? Well, if I want to keep my pay to about 20% of my overall acquisition number, how long can I keep that at 20%? each month that I grow because there's a certain limit that I can actually spend and when yeah. when will I hit that limit. Can you explain to everybody before you get into the copy of why that limit exists? For every B2B brand, there's a finite, even B2C, but mm -hmm. particularly for B2B, there's a finite amount of dollars I can spend based upon the audience that are interested in my product, right? And so like, there's a certain amount of keywords in Google that are applicable to me. There's a certain amount of audience on Facebook that's applicable to me. These other platforms like Quora, Reddit, all of those different platforms, we try them, they're interested, but there's still a small amount of growth. Now, if you're a company at $10 million, they actually could be really interesting for us at plus a billion dollars in revenue. We actually need meaningful amount of size for it to be impactful in our numbers. So all these other channels are kind of interesting in terms of paid advertising, but they're small amount of numbers. And so there's just a certain amount of dollars you can spend to acquire the audience that you can acquire within your ROAS threshold. So for us, for example, let's say we want to spend $1, get $4 back. Well, there's only a certain amount of audience that we can actually acquire through pay to keep our ROAS at that one to four rate. And that's true of every single B2B brand. And burst tests, what they do is they saturate the channel for a certain period of time. So you can start to see what is the maximum amount you could potentially spend within that channel. And so me, clear ROAS model, clear payback period, clear mathematical model, incredible copy. Design is interesting. We've run multiple experiments. And every time we've run experiments, users actually prefer worse design, which makes our mm -hmm. brand and product marketing team really mad. But like, <laughs> we are doing what the users want. We are showing them weird pictures and not the best graphics. Now we've over, over time, like kind of, gone more towards like making sure our, everything is clean and crisp in terms of our brand, but like there's weird tests that show up and paid. And so I would have video. I think video is the other big thing that actually mm, creates a lot that. of engagement. So I'd have like really good short engaging videos, whether they're on the product, whether they're customer testimonials, or like, I think comedy is going to matter much more in how we market our businesses. And I think comedic writers and things like that could be really interested to help make your paid ads stick out. We've talked before in the show about Ryanair. We've talked before in the show about the <laughs> Chip O. Lee brand, the chili brand, whatever they are. Chipotle. Yeah, yeah, but Chipotle. They, he still can't say Chipotle, Chip, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not even going to say it, but they, <laughs> but, but they all have like comedic, <laughs> they have like comedic 
chime in. Like they have like really good like yes. comedic pop culture internet content. I think that's going to help. So there you go. That That is my paid advertising pitch. <laughs> I love it. Darren, Darren, who won round two? Who well, won round two? Well, Kieran, I think I'm going to go and make you a cup of tea because I'm just not sure I'm going to get the ROAS on my ad spend there. You're not going to get the ROAS. <laughs> You're not going to get that ROAS. Yeah, baby. It's a good copywriter, so I'm going to sign up for his newsletter. All right. Oh, he's a good copywriter. I'm not a good copywriter. <laughs> well, I, I take that very offensively, very personally, Darren. I just want to say that. Dar Kieran was already mad and now he's really mad. <laughs> we need to get a copyright off in some yeah. Yeah, form. that's a good idea. Sam Paris, I Slack Sam. Sam's coming on the show, so we can have him. Yeah. Maybe we can write something for Sam, and he can judge it since he's a copyright and master. I like that idea. All right, so it's 1-1. One, one. Email marketing beat paid ads in round two. We got one more round for everybody listening. Oh, I got my hat here. I'm dipping in. Ready? The, the great mm. baseball hat in the sky. Okay. Product marketing. You got product marketing, Kieran. Let's see what I get. Brand marketing. <laughs> oh, that's good. This is a good debate. You, you go first with product marketing, I'll come in with brand marketing. It'll be it'll be sweet. I guess, just to be clear, I'm going to try to argue that I'm going to invest heavily in product marketing to get my brand from 10 million to 30 million, which is a 3x in my go-to-market numbers that I need. Let me just show you what a wordsmith I am <laughs> to be able to make this case. <laughs> he doesn't believe this at all, ladies and gentlemen. Not at all. I mean, we have to create a lot of demand. I do believe in product marketing at this, at this size of company, but I don't know if it's going to get me to like 3x. All right. Okay, the rules of product marketing is, I, I think, pretty simplistic. You have to figure out how you are differentiated. You have to figure out how you can structure a clear point of view around that. And you have to structure how you can relay that point of view to the core benefits that your product and the problems that they solve in the world for their customers, right? Yes. Try to keep it really simple. I think I hear a lot of jargon in product marketing. Crisp differentiation, crisp point of view, and how I actually take that point of view and relay it into the functionality of my products so it solves customers' real problems. How I would invest in product marketing, I would want to make sure that I have this amazing PLG business. The virality is through the roof. Like people are like, <laughs> oh, holy smokes, Kieran, how did you instrument such virality? Underneath my it was breath, all your I say, paid ads. It, I, underneath my breath, I say, it wasn't me actually, it was a product team, but I'm taking full credit. So I take full credit <laughs> and tell them that I, virality did not exist until I told product team to instrument it. So I have this PLG motion and I want to like supercharge this with product marketing to get 3x growth. So what do I do? I have my product marketing team create incredible onboarding flows because they know the customer inside out. So one of the problems with PLG for products that are like have a higher time to value or have more features is it's hard to like onboard the user to the thing they actually want to do. So I would create a series of storyboards where I can actually demo my product, but in a much more freemium way. So I think of a storyboard where I click here, click here, click here. It's like a product tour. And it's taking me through the exact pain points that my customers have that they experience in life. And I use amazing copy and product marketing to tell that story and show people how they actually solve that. By doing that, I've actually increased the freemium conversion rate from the standard industry average from one to 4%. Mine is actually sitting at 20%. Like people can't believe it. They're like, holy hell, how did you get 20%? I'm like telling them this is my product marketing game. I've got these events because Kip, I decided to have coffee with Kip. Yeah, won you over. That event thing sounded really good. And so I'm starting to do these like events for like people who are in that freemium bucket. They're like, I segment my users into like power users, medium users, and low users, like in terms of usage, all of my power and medium users, I do events for them. I have incredible product marketing, helping me with all of the content, helping me with all the decks to tell the story of why they actually should upgrade, tell the incredible stories of our customers who are doing magical things. I gather really crisp, differentiated point of view that I actually use product marketing to help me paint the picture of that on all of the website. And then I create really amazing product marketing snippet videos, like 25 seconds, 30 seconds that show one amazing feature 
And the benefit of that feature went in 25, 30 seconds. And I used that for my paid marketing team to supercharge their effects from paid advertising. So my conversion rate of paid advertising pre-product marketing getting involved was about like one or 2% standard B2B rate. It's now 50%, right? I have like my, my founders coming to me and saying, Kieran, how did you actually do this? And I said like product marketing, baby, this is all <laughs> product marketing. Like I'm just like layering on product marketing all over this rocket ship. And so that is what I would do in terms of my, my product marketing. I would hire an incredible product marketing leader. They are actually very hard to find and I would get to work. That's awesome. You know what? Yeah, I think you made a great argument. I want to get you a product marketing baby t-shirt. Product marketing baby. <laughs> and I love product your marketers. argument is hey, product marketing is gonna supercharge the other strategies and it's really gonna supercharge our growth. I'm gonna actually make a pretty similar argument because we're talking about two very similar things in brand marketing. And so I'm I'm making an argument for brand marketing today. And so to give you a quick rules of brand marketing is one. Brand is your emotional benefit of your company. And if you don't have emotion, you don't have a brand. Full stop. Like that's that's where it's at. With brand is how you drive awareness and preference in a market. And product marketing is the logical side of driving awareness and preference. And brand marketing is the emotional side of driving awareness and preference. And to be really great at brand, you need to measure and iterate on your brand and your brand story, which means you have to have a differentiated story and you have to have good measurements. So you need to measure your awareness and your sentiment in the market to really understand you're making progress on the brand side of things. So what would I do now that we've established the rules of brand marketing? If I was this startup and I was running this company, I would say, okay, we have to build a remarkable brand. And to build a remarkable brand, we have to be very, very different. I, I would look at all of my competitors. I would look at how they're positioned. They're probably boring. They're probably blue and white and like boring colors. And I would completely change my design palette to be in complete opposition to them. I would build a brand platform and narrative that I'm not spending millions of dollars on, but I'm basically figuring out what is my story for what is the big high level problem that I solve in the world. So if this is Kieran's like financial, you know, accounting software, it's like, no, I help businesses grow through getting paid on time, for example. And that's like the logical product marketing. So then I elevate that as to like, what is the emotional, big emotional benefit of that? It's like, we change how businesses grow. Awesome. Whatever. And this is me making it up on the spot. We go and we lean into that and we invest in important touch points like our website, our brands represent on our website. We've got dope swag. We, we carry that over into everything we do and we become the coolest person and company in our industry. And we are, we have a drumbeat of something we're doing every month to kind of win the, the perception and sentiment game in that market. And I'm not saying we're spending millions and millions of dollars, but we're spending some money, hundreds of thousands of dollars probably to pull all this off. And that's what I do. So can I just give you a brand strap line? Because I thought of it when you- uh, Oh, please, please. I love uh, a good brand so, strap line. So this product, the Accountancy product, helps you basically get paid on time. What's the emotional part of that? Well, it's the kind of stress of not getting paid on time. Like there's real emotion behind that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think your strap line could be Kip Bodner's Accountancy platform. We help you get paid on time so you can sleep tight as you grow right.
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. Words made as you grow right. It's either an accounting SaaS platform or a really great mattress company, ladies and gentlemen. Hard to tell which one. And so uh, can, I, can I bring in a, a British politics campaign to like make <laughs> sure, a point sure. around brand? So I, I don't know why I did this. Uh, we, for some reason, uh, watched a little bit of the, there's this like new documentary out about how Boris Johnson handled COVID, right? And I watched, yeah. I watched it because Ken, there's yeah. a lot of talk around how Kenneth Branagh portrays Boris, he looks like a little hobbit with his, he looks like a little <laughs> hobbit that shuffles around like a penguin. But anyway, there's one thing that they talk about, like what, why was his campaign in 2019 so successful? And he had this part where it's just like, all, like give me three words and I'm just going to repeat those three words until no one can think of anything else. So they had this like three words mm-hmm. of get Brexit done. And it was just repeated, like repetition, 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 repetition. And there is a part of that, which you mentioned, like the drum beat. Yeah. Like you actually need that strap line that means something. And then it's just like forced by repetition. I love that. I think that's a good closing point on, on the brand of product marketing. Darren, I know we got to close out the show. We're running close to time. Who won? Who won the final round? You both did really, really good. I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn. I'm going to put that. Can you put that on my LinkedIn as a (laughs) recommendation, Darren? All right. So who won? Who who won? All right. I'm going to have to go with the PLG guy. Congratulations, Kieran. Let's go. Oh, man. Congrats, Kieran. Congrats. (laughs) Come on. The PLG. Oh, it's all about the PLG. Oh, goodness. That product-led growth (laughs) guy, man. Uh, Okay. So we had our first ever Marketing Channel Fight Club. I hope everybody enjoyed it. In all seriousness, Kieran, I actually think we would do all of those channels. I actually thought we would get, we have some other ones in there that I thought were going to get picked that we would potentially not do. I think we would do all of those. We outlined that well. I would encourage anybody who's serious about any of those six channels we talked about to go back and really dive into the rules and how to like think about strategically of those channels that we went through. Because I think that is fundamentally, if you get that right and you get the setup of it right, then you can much, much likely improve the quality of your execution. Kieran, anything you want to add before we jump from today's show? Not on this topic, but for listeners, I love the fact, please do keep uh, reaching out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yes. Can you not DM me your questions and just leave them as reviews? Uh, That would be awesome. Like we actually take the questions from the review. So instead of DMing me questions, you're much better actually leaving them as reviews. That's when they will actually get picked up by Darren and the team. And if you listen to the How to Be a Brand Tastemaker episode, which you should, I'm not opposed to somebody leaving a review that is just the word Chipotle (laughs) over and over and over again. And if somebody does, I'll make sure Karen gets to read it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back and listen to that episode at, at 12 and a half minutes. Okay, that, I, that was that was the first ever edition of Marketing Channel Fight Club. If you like it, hit us up on Twitter at Kip Bodner, at Search Brat, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know if we should keep doing it and do it again. Thank you to producer Darren for pulling our channels out of the hat and declaring a winner. Thank you, thank you. And until next time, this has been Marketing Against the Grain. Thank you all. <laughs>